Hi, and welcome to episode 107 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Ben Moralia joining us. Dr. Moralia graduated from the SUNY at Buffalo School of Dental Medicine. He has 26 years of general practice experience in Mount Kisco, New York, including 17 years of interceptive orthodontic experience, where his focus has been on early childhood growth and development. Dr. Moralia lectures nationally on sleep disordered breathing, clear aligner therapy, and craniofacial development. He holds faculty positions with Align Technology and is on the board of directors of the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry. He's on the President's Council of Northern Westchester Hospital in Mount Kisco, New York, and is a VP of Clinical Affairs for Airway Health Solutions. Dr. Moralia has been recognized multiple times as a leader in continuing education by Dentistry Today magazine. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to to chat about early intervention and all things, you know, all things you do along your path. Oh, me too. Yeah, this is an honor. Thank you, Hallie, for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's just jump right on in and tell us, how did you get into this space? You know, how did you start along the path? Especially, I'm really curious to know about how you got into early intervention in your space. Yes. And so, yeah, the, my brief background is that I'm a general dentist with 28 years of experience now and it took the first 10. So for my first 10 years in practice, I was doing you know, reconstructive general dentistry, implants, you know, all this fun dental things. But as, as the new doctor way back when, I was still seeing the children. We had a family care practice. So the kids were coming in and we were doing their prophy and doing their brushing and counting their teeth and doing sealants. And we were playing with them, it was fun. But for 10 years, we, we didn't really do much of anything with the kids other than that. And Occasionally, we would send them as a referral to the orthodontist to go get, you know, braces or attention, get seen. What I learned early on was that in those 10 years, they don't really do anything very early. They would send back a child who was seven, eight, nine, and say, it's a little early. Let's wait for more permanent teeth or all the permanent teeth. So we got into that pattern of nothing really happening early, but you could kind of see there were things going on. It wasn't the teeth aren't where they belong. It doesn't look right. So then 10 years in, 10 years in, I had a a desire to pursue a little bit of education regarding non-extraction therapy, because at that point, 10 years of kind of referring and watching and seeing results, treatment, I I had a distaste for extraction techniques. I didn't really enjoy seeing children or teens taking out permanent teeth. And so that was probably the direct lead into, maybe I should get involved and get a little more education and figure out, you know, where we are. So one thing leads to another and I start to learn about, well, there turns out there's a whole expansive like field out there. There's is such a thing as early intervention with expansive type orthodontic and orthopedic techniques. And as you start taking courses and you start learning in the expansive arena, you start learning that, well, there is a full non-extraction technique available. It does mean starting earlier. And it turns out the foundation is really what you're focused on. So In the children that we see from three through 12, when they have a mixture of teeth, whether it's primary or mixture, the idea there is it's not really about the teeth at that age. It's about the foundation they have. 
But then you start learning more and you come across the anthropology research. And when you come across the anthropology research, you start really realizing that, oh boy, what a trend is going on in the industrial Western lifestyle where we have this early intervention happening with this soft diet. But what happens with the soft diet is that we end up with weaker and dysfunctional musculature. And next thing you know, we have a, a less amount of growth and development happening. So the the dominoes and the puzzle pieces start getting put together. And then I learned that there is such a thing as an orofacial myofunctional therapist. So if you go back 18 years ago when I started pursuing this line, my starting point was I didn't know that an orofacial myofunctional therapist even existed. I didn't know those words. I didn't know this was a thing. Now, if we leapfrog through 18 years, I go from not knowing it existed to, oh, wow, Look at the powerful collaboration I could have if I'm doing either appliance therapy, fixed removable, if you include frenum revision, if you include the myofunctional therapists and their efforts, all of a sudden it's a whole different outcome for the child. Then you leapfrog again to where I am today and I understand that if I was faced with a decision and it was an absolute, you could only have the child see one person through all their early childhood I would tell you the orofacial myofunctional therapist is the person who should be attending to the child if you could only have one. Now, I recognize it's a collaborative effort. Uh, I'm not trying to exaggerate, but I am trying to make it clear that the, the value and the therapy and the direct treating of the cause is what the orofacial myofunctional community does. And so if you're going to have anyone involved with handling a child early to help them in their growth and development, it would be the oral facial myofunctional therapy community. Then I had the pleasure of meeting a local one in my area. I'm in the Northeast, I'm in New York. And in my area, I happened to meet Paula Fabi a long time ago. And she's a wonderful uh, oral facial myofunctional therapist. And I've had the opportunity to collaborate with cases on her. And so I know the value, the difference it makes, the tremendous opportunity a child has to grow and develop. So my story began with just wanting to learn about non-extraction type techniques where we could grow more that led to, okay, we're doing early intervention. How early? Well, at three, it turns out you begin at three or four, you could begin starting with the children. And then that led all the way to where we are today, which is a full collaborative care opportunity to make sure the right people handle the child appropriately at the right ages to get all of the growth and development out of that child. And it works wonders on a whole host of symptoms that I know you know all about. Absolutely. And this is music to my ears. <laughs> I, I love um, this topic of early intervention, partially because before I fell into the myo space, which really I was thrown into with my own first child, um, I was already a pediatric feeding specialist and I was working more with the toddlers and preschool age children. And I, you know, I always felt like some, and, and also children with severe speech sound disorders and going, something mm -hmm. is missing. Like why I can't put my finger on it. Something is missing. Then I have a tongue tied baby. And she just threw me completely down that rabbit hole of all things tots and all things tots and Mayo, um, which people who listen to the podcast know all about Lily and her journey, but it's just, it's so fascinating because being the SLP, being that feeding specialist who sees even these children under the age of three you know, I call it feeding with a twist of Mayo because we can take the goals. And while it's not the same type of therapy that you might be doing with a four-year-old on up where they're more actively engaged, there's passive things that, you know, feeding specialists and other providers in that space can be doing with these babies um, and toddlers where we really want, well, they're still developing their rotary too. They're still developing, you know, their jaws are crucial, it's a crucial time for development in the orofacial complex. And so if we can get in there and we can truly teach that tongue 
living, you know, to live on the top of the mouth, live on the roof of the mouth and breathe through the nose, teeth slightly apart once they've got teeth, lips together, all the things, you know, it's, it's just invaluable, absolutely invaluable because we're shaping their face, you know, we, <laughs> and how yes. much of we all, I mean, you and I know I'm preaching to the choir. We know full body health relies on what's going on in the mouth. And this is why I always joke that dentists are going to be our pediatricians of the future, because when you have this better understanding of what's going on intraorally here um, and how highly interconnected it is to so many of our issues, our diagnoses that our pediatrics are getting, you kind of start to go whoa, I need to, I need to listen. I need to pay attention. So, you know, that's why I absolutely love this conversation. And so I guess my first, my first question for you is then in terms of, you know, it's a lot of our, our listeners and people in my programs have asked, how young do you start that, that expansion of the maxilla, you know, the yeah. expansion of the mandible? Um, do you start at three? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So it's really between three and four where I get involved, but in, in, in younger, whether it's a question about an infant or a one or a two-year-old, one of the first things I do is refer right to the oral facial myofunctional therapy community, because now that I know who's around me and we have several referrals to make, um, and then for, yeah, basically the, the setup for my office is that I don't have a myofunctional therapist in my office. I am in a place in Westchester County, New York, where within, within about 45 minutes, we probably have a dozen excellent right in my, so I have a wonderful referral source I can send to. Yeah. So if you're talking about like infant up to three, I get them right to the oral facial myofunctional therapy community because they're really good at handling that age group. My office is kind of equipped for three and above. Mm -hmm. And so we make the referral under three, but when we get to three or four, all of a sudden we have a little person who can hop in the chair. They can take a ride up and down. We can observe them for a little bit. We can start talking to parents about symptoms. We can kind of see what's happening. We're probably going to make a referral to the myofunctional therapy community because the child needs a collaboration to, to help them. But at three to four, what I have um, really gotten used to using and work really well are, are removable, and I call them guides, but removable guidance appliances. There are different companies that make these appliances for children in that age range. And they turn out to be soft and easy to wear a lot of the children by three or four have had experience with pacifiers. So they've already had something in their mouth for a while. It's really not that difficult to have a three or four year old kind of pop something on their teeth. And if they can start to wear one of those, it helps to redirect the breathing in the musculature a little bit. So it supports, you know, what might be happening in the oral facial myofunctional therapist's office. And those appliances are uh, removable and I enjoy them from three all the way through seven. So in that three to four category, I usually do not use things that are fixed or kind of glued in. I don't like that right there. The, you know, the, the bones in a young child like that are so soft. I like to refer to them like a wet sponge. So that when you get the breathing and musculature going, that is really the way you want it to happen as naturally as possible. Of course, the bone is maturing as we're aging and there's a difference between maturing and growing. So you and I kind of know that, well, if if we're not using the muscles appropriately, muscle weakness and muscle dysfunction, we get a lack of bone growth, but the bone's still aging. And so the bone is maturing, but not growing. So the idea is to do whatever we can. So of course, with the diagnostics, the frenum is a really big deal because a lot of these children do have a lingual frenum issue, sometimes a labial frenum or buccal frenum issue. Any type of tots, like you mentioned, if you've got a restriction, <clears throat> you know, we know from that nice literature that restrictions in tongue mobility are a risk factor for growth and development of the whole craniofacial complex. And so the, 
and basically underdevelopment in the craniofacial complex is the risk factor for sleep disorder breathing. And you have, you know, these little dominoes start falling over, but next thing you know, you have an unhealthy child on your hands. So three to four is a wonderful age for the frenum diagnostics. Of course, nasal hygiene is good for any age to work on your nasal hygiene. Removable soft appliances is usually our entry point into helping a child. And then as the child is aging more, I tend to rely on fixed appliances more towards that eight to 12 range. Well, I love that you're you're intervening earlier on. And it's so interesting to hear you speak too, because depending on who I talk to, people have different preferences, right? Some people will do fixed earlier on, some people, you know, but I think that the the overall discussion and message is that we're intervening earlier and that we're doing something that yes. works for that child's case to help, you know, with that growth of the palate. Um, growing it forward and, you know, laterally, mm -hmm. not just one dimensional. So that I love, I love that. I love this topic. Um, what do you do though, when you have a child who won't comply with a fixed oral appliance? Like I'm just thinking of maybe some of my sensory kiddos who are like, nope, you're not putting that in my mouth. Or, and, you know, we try and the parents have been trying for weeks to get them to comply. And they're like, it's just not happening. Do you have like another solution for that? Or... Well, you know, the idea is that we have, a, we have children in every category and there are those extremes where on one end you could do almost anything and they are like ready and do it. And you're, that's, wow, that's the best patient ever. And yikes, could everybody be like that one, the lucky one, right? But then, then you have children who struggle and there are children who struggle to, to do these. You know, we, we really don't do anything in a traumatic fashion in the office. Everything is done with the child sitting upright, high up in the chair at our level. We talk through a lot of stuff. If I wanted to deliver a removable appliance, we would be talking about it, touching it, show it's a touch, show, you know, play with. Our goal is to get the child to put it in themselves. It's, there's a big difference between, you know, me, the big doctor with this thing coming at them. And of course you've got on a mask and a shield and a big coat and a whole thing and the goggles. And, you know, that's- All the extras scary these when, days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, and, and the child is four years old. So you're, it's a four-year-old. Now you look like Darth Vader coming at this kid. <laughs> And so it's awful. It's just, I could see it. It's awful. But the idea is we're trying to make it playful and get to a point where the child would like to put it on themselves. Because if you're holding a mirror and if they're putting it in, it's an interesting dynamic that a child never takes that appliance and gags themselves. So it's very interesting when they go to nestle it in there, they kind of do it without gagging themselves. But when, when I try to do it, and I've tried the hard way, believe me, when I would try to do it, if I tried to put that in there, all of a sudden, wait, you're fighting the lips, the cheeks, the tongue, because there's resistance, they don't know. So it's, it's interesting how you're kind of self-protective. So the little four-year-old who takes it and fools around with it will do a better job than me trying to jam it in there. So we, we, try to, we, we basically try to make it a pleasant experience where the child puts it in themselves. That's our goal. There are three, three and a half-year-olds who can do it, and that's terrific. But if it's not meant to be, we're not going to force it because we have other categories to work with. Of course, we're going to take a look at the frenum where when you've got the significant frenum issue with the list of symptoms, that's going to become maybe a little oral surgery procedure with this, even a little sedation if the child can't do it you know, without being sedated. But with the myofunctional therapy, the nasal hygiene, the things that you can do, we're going to, we would never have, let's say, a child where nothing could be done. It's about what can we do and we're doing it without trauma and we're trying to make it as, and then when they're ready, we do it. So the idea is we try to see them every three months and that child who let's say struggles in the first visit, we're gonna play, we're gonna break the ice, we're gonna have a little fun, we're gonna get as far as we can go without it being traumatic. So when we ask them, hey, would you come back and visit us? They say, yes, they wanna come back. 
It might be three or four months later when they come back, we've got a few other little things going on. We'll try again. And then the idea is you're just trying to have them deliver their own appliance at the time they were ready to do it. Now you've got a happy kid and they're going to work through it. And sometimes they wear it for a few minutes at a time. Other times they can put it in for an hour and we'll take whatever we can get basically mm-hmm. without trauma. And we work with the kids and that's that one extreme where there are children who it's a little more difficult, but we don't give up. Basically we don't give up and we don't make it a trauma. We're just trying to help that child. They need the help. And so, yeah. you know, yeah, it breaks our heart to not treat a child. So we're, we're, we're trying to help them along the way as best we can without traumatizing them. No, that, and that's great. I, I love that response because we're very play-based in the work that we do. And we find also when the child feels that they're in charge and when they, you know, your sensory motor system, you're, you're, you take yourself out of fight or flight when you're in control. And so if they're able to put it in their mouth and you can avoid that negative experience of gagging from somebody else putting something mm-hmm. into your mouth, you know, I can see how that would be a lot more successful. So hopefully that's a really good tip that some others can walk away from just from this episode, because I think, you know, we say play-based and I don't know that people always know what we mean by that, but we really mean being playful, making it fun, mm-hmm. not making it super clinical because they're children and this is play is how they learn. And so you're do- it sounds like you're doing exactly that, but also allowing the child to, you know, be in the driver's seat. Um, sort of like, we're going to give you options. You can put it in an hour and five minutes, but you're going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and we're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah, I always say yeah. I, I I constantly train my husband. He's like, "How do you get the kids to do what you want them to do?" And I'm like, "Well, I gave them two options, and they're always options that I would be happy with them choosing. But it's they think they're in control because they're making the choice. So if we can just run yeah. with that, as long as that continues to work, definitely. I'm here for it." <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. There's an approach that you know can work, and part of it is meeting. Part of it is getting to know the child because they're all a little different and. Not every child can do it on the first visit and that's okay. And yeah. it doesn't matter if it takes two, three or four. I don't care if it takes us six visits because if it takes us six visits, we got started and we're now we're winning. You know, the idea is to help that child grow and develop appropriately. And just because you can't get it done on the first visit doesn't mean you're done. That's It means, okay, a second, a third, a fourth, let's keep working. We do the play-based routine. I've never heard of the play-based, but that's the right wording. Because in the end, what we're really trying to do is just establish a great relationship with that child because we know that in the future, we want to do more things with that child. So we're trying to build a great relationship so that they, like you said, feel in total control, but super comfortable. And if they're super comfortable coming in, they're happy. They come in happy. They do the things that we're trying to do with them. And next thing you know, they leave happy. They, they want to come back. They come back nicely. They, and you each visit, you get to do a little more. And the fantastic part about all of this is None, none of this involves the needles and the drilling, like the typical dental stuff. So when the chair doesn't have to go back flat, you know, that's a threatening position. When the chair's back and two people are hovering over that you. Light is in your face, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here, here comes fight or flight. You can't even avoid it. You know, adults have that reaction. So if the chair's upright and you raise it all the way up and you're having a conversation and it's playful, next thing you know, yeah, you're, you're basically trying to build a great relationship so that as the visits go by, you get to do more and more and more. And we have the categories of very lucky. The kids will let us do more early, but it doesn't mean we quit or give up. We're just going to keep working with that child until we kind of break through and get the things that we need to be done for them so they can grow and develop and be healthy versus unhealthy. Absolutely. And I I absolutely love that. And and, you know, let's talk a little bit about the prevention of sleep disordered breathing or, or possibly maybe even treating that in some of these pediatrics that you're getting, because if we know they already have, you know, their craniofacial 
structures are not developing as they should be, we can, we, we may highly suspect there might be some <laughs> sleep disorder breathing or oh, yeah. airway issues going on. So are you finding that getting in there earlier is helping to treat this? I mean, I assume yes, but I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective on that. Yes, of course. And so, right. Of course, over time, you learn more and more and more and you get more pieces of the puzzle. And eventually when you feel like you've got most of the pieces of the puzzle, it becomes a very clear picture that that early soft tissue dysfunction is what's going to deliver the underdevelopment and underdevelopment of the jaw structure comes with a compromise in the breathing because you have a number of things going on, but there is a bit of a linear progression of how the children deteriorate. And so, you know, with the Western industrial lifestyle, that early soft diet, and then of course, we always have that impact of bottle pacifier where it alters the action of the musculature. So this combination of early soft food bottle pacifier leads us down that road where we're going to have this level of muscle weakness and dysfunction. It affects the growth and development. In general, we have underdevelopment. Now the jaws, the upper and lower jaw, when they're fully grown, it produces the right amount of space for the air to flow beautifully from the nostril all the way in. So these two jaws right here dictate how well you're gonna breathe. So of course, if you've got this early level of underdevelopment, you've got an early airway compromise. It doesn't necessarily have to be OSA. You know, obstructive sleep apnea is a very specific diagnosis with a sleep test and you've made credentials. That's like the worst you could be in the OSA category. But in a very, in a very simple pattern, you could just be mouth breathing. And so a little bit of mouth breathing is wildly unhealthy. And so a, a human being that's an obligate nasal breather, in order to have optimal human being health, you need to be nose breathing all the time. It's day and night, it's not really an option. And so I wish I could give credit for this statement I'm gonna say, because I know I did not invent this. Somebody else said this. I wish I knew the name to give credit, but they said, you should, you should breathe through your mouth as much as you eat through your nose. <laughs> and that, it's a really good one. I've heard that I before and I love it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where that originated, but somebody deserves credit for that. And one day they should stand up and say, it was me, I said it first, because I did not. I heard it somewhere and I love it. Yeah. Well, these children that get on this track, all of a sudden, the category of sleep disorder breathing, that's a good way to describe it because if you're mouth breathing or worse, mouth breathing, snoring, or whether you get all the way to OSA, mouth breathing itself is wildly unhealthy. So it's probably the most unhealthy thing a child could do is breathe through their mouth at any point during their day or night. So while it's very unhealthy 24 hours a day, it tends to be, it's a little worse overnight because you're supposed to be having this nice sleep cycle where your brain is working to clean and reset you for the next day and it, all of that goes well, you wake up ready for the day. But if that gets interrupted, we're going to have some trouble. And so we have that very nice research from Dr. Karen Bonick. And Dr. Karen Bonick in 2012 published an article. She had looked at 11,000 children over six years. And the idea was that the children in the sleep disorder breathing category did have a relationship with their behavior the next day. She kind of went down the road of researching, does, does the breathing and sleeping affect the behavior? And her research outlined pretty well that there is a connection, poor breathing, sleeping to behavior the next day. And so if we know this child is gonna have a poor airway, because we've got the early, we got the early muscle dysfunction and weakness, we've got the lack of growth and development, that underdevelopment does lead to an airway compromise because you really can only have that, let's say 100% airway if you've got 100% of the facial growth. So if you've got your maxilla and mandible where they belong at the right ages, you're going to breathe great. But we don't have that in most kids because the, 
the early position in an industrial Western society is kind of set for them. So here comes that start. So what it turns out to be is most, it's overwhelmingly most. And I know it's never appropriate for you know, anyone to say it's 100%, it's 100%, but I gotta tell you, I'm, doing, I'm looking at kids for a long time, treating a lot of kids for a long time. If it's probably 99 point something because I only get to meet one child in a few hundred that doesn't really need early attention because they've got the whole thing right where it belongs and everything's in place and there are no symptoms. So when we think about these kids who have this pathway, the symptoms are there early. And so the symptoms that we're finding, if you had to think about the top list of symptoms, there's, it's a long, a very long list, but when you're thinking about behavior, that's at the top of the list, behavior, bedwetting, nightmares, night sweats, clenching and grinding of the teeth. There's a handful of symptoms that are right at the top, gastrointestinal issues, whether it's constipation or diarrhea, upset stomachs, headaches, the things that go into you know, being healthy or unhealthy, a lot of it goes back to, well, how well are you breathing and sleeping? Because it does affect every system in the body. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, how the jaws grow really dictate how healthy a human being you're gonna be. And it should almost be common sense because the way a human, a human being basically takes fuel to run. And there's, there's air, because you have to breathe, and then there's nutrition. So we've got stuff to put in the nose and we've got stuff to put in the mouth. Well, how you fuel a human being really dictates how healthy you're going to be. And so the breathing needs to be through the nose without, you know, obstruction or resistance. So when these children come in with this list of symptoms, the idea is we basically work in reverse. So to be honest, I don't really treat sleep disorder breathing. I don't really treat OSA. I treat the underdevelopment because I'm just a dentist. So since I'm just a dentist, I have to work with what I can diagnose. I don't diagnose a breathing or sleeping disorder. I don't diagnose OSA, but I can diagnose and every dentist can diagnose underdeveloped jaws. So I treat what we call malocclusion. Malocclusion is that underdeveloped jaw structure. It's basically a bad bite, an underdeveloped bite. So if a child has an underdeveloped set of jaws, you're treating that. And then like the dominoes fell over, you're basically working your way back. So if we could treat that underdeveloped malocclusion, then you're, you're looking at doing it through the cause, meaning what can we do to redirect the breathing and musculature? Because if you can get the nose breathing back and you can get the muscle function and strength appropriately balanced, guess what happens? The human being starts growing appropriately again. So the appliances we use aren't really the miracle. You know, what, what the appliances, they're just supportive of getting your breathing and your musculature back. None of them is like a light switch where put this in your mouth and you're going to be perfect. It's, it's a combination of a lot of things. But again, that well, the oral facial myofunctional therapy is like at the top of the list because when you start to treat the underdevelopment and you're doing it through the breathing and the musculature, you get to see the jaw growth. But what you really get to see is the symptoms disappear. So the, the behavior changes, it improves. The bedwetting stops, the nightmares stop. Kids start dreaming, they talk about dreams. Then of course, you can work your way down. The headaches will disappear. The gastrointestinal issues start to disappear. Basically, you start to heal the child and it, it's through treating the cause. Because if I just put stuff in the mouth and pushed it where it belongs, there's a really good chance it's going to go back because I haven't really treated the cause. We, we might get to that topic a little later, but the idea is... You read yeah, my mind. Short, I was like, well, this yeah, is one of those orthodontic relapse cases because when you're just treating the structures, but you're not treating the uh, the, uh, the remaining underlying cause of the issue, right? right. Actually getting down yes. root breathing. Where's our tongue resting? How are we swallowing? You know, what's what's going on? Full picture. 
think we, we need every piece of this puzzle in place or you're going to have orthodontic relapse like I did and like many of my patients do. <laughs> yeah, me too. Every, yeah, me me too, that. same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it turns out to be, yeah, the combination of uh, a focus on treating the teeth versus the foundation. That's a big difference. You know, just to treat the teeth alone offers straight teeth, but it doesn't really improve symptoms, okay? Now, it's nice to have a good smile. Everybody wants to, you know, feel good and confident and, and positive about having a nice smile because we share it. We look at people, we're smiling, we're social human beings. But the idea is if you just line up the teeth and you don't really treat the cause of the trouble, you still have your muscle imbalance. So then there is that relapse issue, meaning, you know, braces from 12 to 15 make teeth straight, but they don't really affect the foundation and they don't treat the cause. So anyone can force teeth into a lineup that looks nice. But if we don't have permanent retention, locking it in place, you know what happens, relapse to a majority, overwhelming majority. And I know there was some research a while ago where they showed uh, if you take away the retainers, the relapse rate is above 90%. So a lot of relapse. And it, it does stand to reason because if you think about, look at today with adults, what's available for adults for their teeth? Clear aligners. Well, the clear aligner industry is endless because everybody who had braces has crooked teeth again. And so it seems like it matches. Yeah, who could have clear aligners? Well, pretty much every adult. If you ask an adult, did you have braces? Yeah, did you have clear aligners? I either did or I'm gonna get them because yeah. that's what's out there. So yeah, the, the braces I find very effective at lining up teeth, but they don't really treat a cause of anything. And if you're not gonna balance the musculature and the breathing, you're gonna get relapse at a very high rate. And what we end up with is, we still have an unhealthy child. And so I don't see that as option number one anymore. It's like the last thing. So when you have a focus on foundation first, based on breathing and musculature, that's a winning combination because here you're gonna help that child grow naturally where they should be and maintain it because the child who does grow naturally and gets to where they're supposed to be, they don't even need retainers because the musculature imbalance is your body's natural retainer. So that. That's the ultimate goal is yeah, treat the foundation through the cause and you're winning. If you're just gonna try to force the teeth straight, everybody's getting clear aligners when they're 30, you know? Absolutely, and and I, I'm curious to know too, do you see issues with TMD in some of your younger patients? Are you seeing, like how early do you see that? Or is it more your teens, adults? It's less common in the younger kids. So there, there are statistics that show what is like a TMJ or TMD rate in adults and children and the child rate is much lower. And I forget, I forget the actual numbers, yeah. but in children it's much less, but again, it is the same philosophy. In other words, when I think about the patient who comes in and has TMD symptoms, well, I automatically think underdevelopment because you've got this relationship of these jaws. Well, the upper jaw is connected to everything. It's attached, but the lower one can wobble around and move all over. So right now my lower jaw is moving because I'm yapping at you. But the idea is my lower jaw gets to move around. But here's an interesting thing to consider. The lower jaw can only land where the upper jaw allows it to. So when you close your mouth and your teeth are connected, my lower jaw only has permission to go where the upper says it can go. It can't go somewhere different. It can just land where the upper allows it to. Well, what that does is it sets up a bit of a philosophy that I have where, okay, well, if the lower is put in a position that it doesn't really belong, well, that's going to throw off the rest of the mechanism because the lower jaw is one piece. And then you have these condyles, fancy word, but there's a little disc in there. And then there's a whole eminence. This is all connected. How can any of the musculature or the disc or the condyle or this connection be correct if the teeth are landing inappropriately? 
So then you think about, well, common sense. If the upper jaw grows fully, exactly where it should be, well, then the lower is landing appropriately. Mm-hmm. But if the upper jaw is underdeveloped, no matter where the lower jaw connects to the upper jaw, it's not in the right place because your upper jaw fully grown produces a different, you have two different places. Well, that's my pathway to seeing my TMD patients is that, okay, you've got trouble here or head, neck, whatever their symptom might be. It could be all of it, right? Your upper jaw is the criminal. Your lower jaw is the victim. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't treat the lower, I treat the upper. So if we can grow the upper back where it belongs, and of course, with the adults, it's still related to the breathing and the musculature because adults benefit from the OMT, oral facial myofunctional therapy, just as much as the kids do. Yeah. So when you combine my techniques plus the myofunctional therapist techniques, all of a sudden you get all of this balance coming with jaw growth. If the upper grows better, more appropriately, the lower gets to land more appropriately. And, and it kind of resets the muscles and the condyle and the disc and all the parts of the TMD. We do the same thing through childhood or adult. No matter who we see, when we see TMD symptoms, it's upper jaw growth is the key. And so where does that land for me? Well, I've been doing that for eight years. So for the last eight years, I've been treating TMD with upper jaw growth. Foundation first, teeth second. Because usually when you grow the foundation, whether you're a child or an adult, you got to coordinate the teeth second. So foundation first, teeth second, always with the nasal breathing, the myofunctional therapy. That solves the TMD issues. So I no longer make night guards and splints. Um, the idea is if we take our TMD population, whether they're young or old and grow the maxilla, the lower jaw gets to come and be where it belongs. The TMD symptoms go away because basically you're providing a system back in balance. So it's rare, but we do see kids with jaw pain or trouble or headaches and things like that. And when we treat them with growth and development, those symptoms go away. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's really an interesting topic too, because, you know, we know that everything is so interconnected, but I, as a feeding therapist, even before I was in this space, I would look at some of my kids and there was so such great asymmetry that you could just see when you looked straight on at their face, you could see the overdeveloped masseter on one side of their face. And yes. Wonder, I mean, I know the child clearly only chews over there, but I really wonder why, like what is going on that's forcing that? And as I got into the Maya world and really fell down that rabbit hole, you know, back in 2017 or so, I was like, Oh, well, it all makes sense now because if their teeth, if they can't occlude and they can't actually, yeah. you know, break the food down on their back molars, well, it would make sense why they're only able to chew on that side. And I, I will tell you, these kids are amazing and adults too, but definitely the kids, you know, I've seen kids with almost complete malocclusion where they barely make any contact on maybe four total teeth in their mouth. And they still have figured out how to break that food down, but they're oral musculature has paid a price and it is not, oh, yeah. I mean, these poor kids. And so, yep. you know, I just, I love this conversation. It makes, it makes so much sense that sure. you know, our, our uh, maxilla is really, it's fixed. And that's really what's driving, mm-hmm. you know, I say fixed, meaning it's, it's the fixed part of the dog. We're looking between the two. I know we can make changes to it, but it's just really fascinating to think. Yeah. That's the mandible has to just reach up lower jaw reaches up to meet, to meet the top jaw. And that can throw everything out of alignment. And that's, that's what happened for me. You know, I was that sure. kid who went into um, palatal expansion, into braces. Then they put me in, into a permanent retainer, which then came out when I did, I think um, I had clear aligners, went back into permanent fixed retainers, 
They said they would fall out by the time I was 20 at the age of 30. I said, Hey, can you take these out? This is really hard to clean my lower back and yeah. lower, you know, incisors are just a nightmare to clean. Um, and they finally took it out and my teeth started shifting. And I said, I remember yeah. saying to my dentist at the time who has since retired, but I said, I'm, I'm like, and he was a family friend. And I was like, my teeth are moving. And he was like, you're crazy. I was like, no, look, my teeth are turning. I am not crazy. I like, like, look what's happening to my lower incisors. And he was like, they're fine. You're fine. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then now obviously fell into this space and have since gone through a yeah. DNA, you know, Vivo Suppliance myself. And that, that did that for a couple of years, did my own Mayo and now am in Invisalign to help just kind of close up some of those spaces. But for me, that clear aligner was really more so just a cosmetic thing after we attain, <laughs> we're able to obtain, right. you know, the open airway. And, and I've also had um, my CBCTs to demonstrate how we were yes. able to grow my airway, which was absolutely incredible to see the before yes. and after. Yes. Nice to have that change happen where you can see, oh boy, here I was before, here I am after. And then a little bit of alignment with the clear liners to kind of coordinate connection of the teeth, but foundation first, teeth second, that's a winning thing at any age. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the relapse, like you experienced, I experienced the teeth were starting to overlap or get crowded again. And it, it goes right back to, you know, what was the muscle doing? Well, if the tongue is weak and dysfunctional, the outside compensates. So like you were mentioning, one side will usually be more active than the other because the bite is so terrible. So you get this asymmetry going on, but you do have hyperactivity outside, usually just tipped one way or the other. And the, so if the inside is weak and the outside is compensating, you're gonna collapse. So of course, when you try to force it all straight and you take away retainers, we collapse again. So it's amazing how the relapse is usually in the collapse department because we haven't attended to the muscles and the inside's weak, the outside's strong in general. But yeah, you have the compensation is significant because a human being is kind of built to survive. And so once something is off a little bit, the body compensates right away. It's, it involves everything. So as soon as you do a little bit of mouth breathing, next thing you know, your posture changes, then the musculature changes, then the musculature changes in two directions. Some get weaker, some get stronger. Some become active when they're supposed to be inactive. Some become inactive when they're supposed to be active. And this whole compensation that occurs just kind of keeps the child getting through each day and night. And if nobody resets that, you go from being an unhealthy child with a list of symptoms to being an unhealthy adult with a bigger list of symptoms. And now your medical crisis grows as you're aging. You're basically, if with, with underdeveloped jaws and no appropriate treatment, you're basically deteriorating ahead of schedule. That's all you're doing. You're not aging because there's, there's a big difference. Human beings are really supposed to age in a healthy fashion. We're built to be healthy. We should be aging healthy. Meanwhile, because of this underdeveloped jaw and then the breathing sleeping combination, all of this is a premature deterioration. We're basically aging a whole lot faster than we should, but really not even the aging is the right word. It's a deterioration that's occurring. Then we get to fall into the statistics. So the average 50 year old takes three medications and the average 60 year old takes five medications and the average 65 year old has had two surgeries or three surgeries or, oh my God, those are staggering numbers on how basically unhealthy we become. And you can trace it all back. A lot of this stuff is a chronic and slow process that begins with in the early stages, we were not growing well. Yeah. And getting it all back in line is a huge benefit to any human being. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, obviously I'm not an airway, I'm not an ENT or an airway specialist in that regard, but I do understand airway, I think in a very different way than maybe some of my SLPs who are not in this space. And so one of the things that I have really 
focused on and preached on is, you know, how often do you go to the doctor and they say to you, well, you're stressed, you know, if you could just, if you could just eliminate some stress out of your life, I think you would do, you know, these migraines might go away or you maybe wouldn't have so much tension in your neck or, you know, they're basically listing out all the symptoms that we know could be connected to an OMD, tetheral mm-hmm. tissues, malocclusion, um, right. mouth breathing, you know, sleep disorder breathing, all of the above. Yeah. And, you know, I have to laugh at that to an extent because I go, well, stress is not the cause. The stress to the body is from an underlying root cause that nobody is taking the time to identify. And, and that for me has been the biggest thing that I've gotten out of this space, being in the myofunctional therapy space, working with professionals like yourself and collaborating and really having these discussions has just shed so much light on how much healthier we could be if we were all truly in a, if we didn't exist in malocclusion, if we didn't have If we didn't, you know, if we were able to truly exist with tongue on the path, you know, tongue up, lips together, teeth apart, breathe through your nose and our jaws were where they were supposed to be, how much healthier would we be as a nation? And I even look outside of the U.S. because arguably there's other countries who've got it together much more than we do. And that's because of our food supply here. And that's, you know, we've we've mentioned this a couple of times. You brought this up today. So yeah, it's one of those, uh, interesting topics. And one that, you know, I also talk a lot to, um, early moms, um, you know, early on in their, in their child's, uh, life. And, you know, with my daughter, we saw very early on that she was tied and everyone said, well, she's fine. She was never over the first percentile, but she was on Mm -hmm. her own growth curve, right? She was that infant, um, horrible, painful breastfeeding, like feeding her around the clock, had to make sure no matter, no matter where we went, there was a nursing room. I could sit down and feed her. And as soon as we got there, because she never could pull enough in a feeding session. Mm -hmm. And these are the kinds of things that we need to go back and look at. How did they feed an infant? You know, and I know that we've got some parents who are, you know, it was cloudy. Those days are cloudy. So we remember as much as we can. And we try to even educate now from that standpoint of, Hey, if you're having a child, if you're having a baby, if you're in the first year of life, these are the things we need to be looking for. Um, an interesting thing that my daughter did too, that comes up quite a bit that I've got no research to support, but it makes complete sense in my brain, um, is she tripod slept, right? She slept with her elbows down below her, her tush up in the air and her head was, you know, to one side, And in my opinion, she was trying to keep her airway open. And, you know, I look at this and I look at SIDS and how concerned we are about having these babies with sudden, you know, unexpected death Mm -hmm. in their sleep. Um, Well, how many of them have airway issues? Why are we not looking at that? Why do we require a pacifier for six months to decrease SIDS? Like, what does that tell us? Why is nobody doing research on that? And so, you know, when you bang this this is like early intervention this goes back early on it's there at birth it is present when these babies pop out <laughs> um yes. and I, you know i know that goes beyond the the phase one and phase two orthodontics a little bit younger there but you know it's sort of yeah. my big psa like look at your child what is their mouth doing that's that's step number one what is their mouth doing is their head or neck an extension when they're sleeping yeah so many of these kids are yeah, and you know, there is a little bit of research out there on SIDS and- Yes, um, but the tripod sleeping, that's the piece where I- Yeah, when you start to dig a brain. little bit, you do yeah. find, and, and there were countries that had looked at some sort of volume of, and they the one study I remember was, they had looked at over 2,100 SIDS deaths. And mm-hmm. and the one, one of the common differences that they found to be significant was that in, in those 2,100 SIDS deaths, uh, 90% of them, had histories with bottles and pacifiers. 
but only 10% of the SIDS were in the exclusive breastfeeding category with no bottle or pacifier. So 90 to 10 is a very big difference. Yeah. And so if you have, yeah, that's an interesting, that, that should lead to more research is what that right. should like, be. There's definitely some out there on upper airway and SIDS, but it's, it's one of those kind of like, well, we don't have enough research to support this. And we're just going to keep recommending that those sounds like, and <laughs> Sounds like we need more. We need right, more because, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the bottle pacifier changes the muscle activity. And so it produces more extra oral activity. It, it gets between the tongue and the palate, which is really a no-no today, knowing what we know now. And so if you're going to depress the tongue with a bottle or pacifier and then work the outside muscles, inside weakness, take the tongue away from the palate and make the outside stronger at an age where the bone is so soft, that creates, that becomes an orthopedic process of shrinkage. Now we're going the other way. So there's definitely a relationship. The part about the piece that they talk about pacifiers are not the problem is because the, the infant doesn't pass away with the pacifier in their mouth. Right, right. Because technically, when you put it in, it'll open the lower jaw a little bit. So, right. but that doesn't make it protective because the muscle activity that's going on during the time it's being used in the early infancy is actually helping the bone to shrink versus grow. Because right. we're setting up a paddle of in, a, a pattern of inside weakness and push the tongue away from the palate and outside hyperactivity. And think about the amount of time an infant uses a pacifier. And that's a lot of that's a lot of physical therapy, but in the wrong direction. So we have this kind of shrinkage happening and yeah, there, there's a need for more looking into that because the pacifier is not a helpful device. I have a pretty strong opinion on that. I don't believe do those too. are helping. <laughs> I do too. I, and I, will, are... you know, I, I will tell the moms, I will say, look, I'm never going to shame you for whatever choice you make yeah. for your child and your baby. Oh but yeah. And just to, I, I, yeah, I, I want to make it clear too. My three children had them. So I, yeah, I don't want to be here pretending I did anything right. Cause that, that's absolutely <laughs> the case. No way. So not only did my three children had the mush blended diet, we stuffed everything in that magic bullet. We used that thing till it burned on fire. And then we gave them pacifiers. And if one pacifier didn't do it, I was jamming two at a time in there because I figured if one's good, two's better. So yeah, I, I did everything wrong early. And now my 20, my 19 and my 14, we started them at five. You know, at the time you go back 15 years, we started working on them early with the guides and stuff. And and then one thing leads to another. So yeah, I had the same pattern of the symptoms were there, the underdevelopment was there, did it all wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then learning from it, figuring out, yeah, there's a better way. And then there's this whole idea of oral facial myofunctional therapy out there. My goodness, who would have known? Yeah, it was, it was interesting with my first, she was so tongue tied, she could barely keep a pacifier in her mouth. And, you know, of course here right. I am. And I, I tell everybody, I use those wubba nubs with the little animal hanging off the pacifier, which is the worst thing that you could do once a child oh. is mobile and they're not just laying flat on their back. Um, and, you know, thankfully she didn't really take it. I tried to push it on her again at four months mm -hmm. thinking like, maybe now she'll take it. She wouldn't take it before. And maybe she used it for like a week. And then she just was disinterested because it was too much work to keep it in. So blessing in disguise, um, with my second one, she used it a little bit, but didn't seem to take to it much. And so again, I just got lucky. I got lucky with my kids. And that's why I always say, I will never pass judgment on any mother who needs this oh, for their yeah. sanity or needs it for sleep. But I think it's, it's definitely something that needs to be discussed. And I've, I've had some very strong statements and opinions, um, on my social media. You know, one of my colleagues had said, um, using a MAM pacifier, like the flat, you know, orthodontic as a qualified orthodontic pacifier is the same thing as trying to dance with your shoes tied or something like that, or, or dance with your, you know, what'd you say? Dance with your, um, foot 
stapled to the floor or something. And it basically was like, you just can't, you can't, mm. you know, you're stuck. And that's exactly what it does to the tongue. And I thought that's such a great example of what we're doing when we force these pacifiers in and the whole concept of these orthodontic pacifiers drives me up a wall. It's all marketing, but yeah, that's <laughs> marketing class action lawsuits against, you know, one of the companies. Um, but anyways, you know, we know when we know better, we do better. And there's definitely a lot of other opportunities, I think, for these discussions to lead to education, which is really the, the avenue that, you know, we're trying to take, but, you know, I just, it goes back to that whole conversation of, what did, what did your child look like as an infant? What was their sleep like? What was their feeding like? You know, could they nurse? Did you have to give a bottle despite the fact that you really wanted a nurse and that killed you to have to, you know, either right. formula feed or pump yeah. in feed through in a bottle? Um, because that also is just not discussed enough. But when I, we ask our patients, even our adults, I'll say, do you know anything about your feeding history as a infant or toddler or young child? Right it's always so fascinating to hear the stories that some of them share when they, when they can recall it or when they have a parent, they can ask and, you know, the parent can shed some light on that. So yep. they're at birth. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, similar experience, my wife had to go back to work. And so yeah. you know, while she would have liked to have breastfed longer, it was, I have to go back to my job. So it was the pumping, the bottles, the formula, the pacifiers, you know, I did my part as best I could, you know, we, we did, we did the routine that, you know, kind of society lays out for you and then kind of catching the symptoms later on, you start to get involved with trying to make the corrections. And so, yeah, there's definitely those two pathways of we don't pass judgment because I live the same thing. Uh, no one's here to judge anyone. We're trying to recognize unhealthy children and figure out how do we help them to become a healthy child, to become a healthy adult. And then on a small level, it's about education, like you mentioned, where maybe there is a pathway to educate and then people have choices because a lot of people don't know there are choices yeah. and then learning gives opportunity to make different choices along the way. And then that can make us, you know, another difference and anywhere, anywhere you're learning is helpful. Absolutely. So do you work also with adult, a lot of adults or are you mostly pediatric? Yeah, it's a pretty good mix. So kids and adults, uh, any age three, all the way through. And, um, you know, we, we, we basically, live in the uh, breathing, musculature, growth and development categories. And then depending upon that age group, you know, what are we choosing to support our, you know, techniques to get that patient to grow and, and do better with their breathing and sleeping. That's fantastic. So um, if there are other dentists who are listening, who are like, hey, I really want to get in this space, do you have any advice for them or where they could start to enter into this world? Yeah, certainly. There, there are a lot of pathways for, for education. You know, when I started 18 years ago, it was like a piece at a time. I didn't have this full program to go and take, and it was all there in one spot. So I took this course and that course and this and that. And when I started figuring things out, I learned, well, that's helpful. Let me put that here. And oh, that's helpful. Oh, that's not helpful. I'm going to avoid that. So then you put it all together and then you treat people for a, you know, a decade and then you start putting it together. And basically I have a partner in crime um, and Lauren Gates, and I have a, uh, an educational platform, Airway Health Solutions. And that's a place where you could learn about the opportunities for collaborative care uh, to treat a child or an adult. And so we have a pediatric course, we have an adult course, and, and that would be a great place for a general dentist to start. And we offer the training for not just the dentist, but the team. And it's, it's a, you know, why and a how. So why, why are we here? You know, here's what's going on. And then if you, if you, if you have a philosophy that understands, oh, wow, we're, this is a really big why, 
then you want to know how to be involved to fix it. And then the next thing is, yeah, teaching doctors how you help these kids, what are the techniques that are involved for children, teens, and adults. So Airway Health Solutions is a wonderful first step. What I've done is I've taken the last 15 years of my puzzle and boiled it down to, here's what's been most effective for me. In the end, the overall theme is about collaborative care and it's everything from the nose breathing through the musculature, through the frenum, through the diagnostics, through the different things that are available. You put it all together and you can make a really big difference in a child, a teen, or an adult's life. That's fantastic. Awesome. So we will, we will make sure that we link airwayhealthsolutions.com in, because um, I know sometimes we've got people driving. Don't drive off the road. We'll put it oh, in the yeah, show right. notes. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes, but airwayhealthsolutions.com. Um, and we'll make sure that that's in the show notes so they know where to find you. Um, is there any any last pieces that we didn't touch on that you want to share with us today? Uh, you know, just just the philosophy, like the, the, the shift in what I was doing my first 10 years was tooth focused. And I fixed a lot of teeth. And, and that made for some happy patients because if you come in and you got bad teeth and blah, blah, blah. That there was a certain level of satisfaction fixing teeth, right? Then that was where my transition all of a sudden towards, oh, wait a minute, I might be able to have a bigger impact than just fixing the teeth. How about fixing the human? How about transitioning unhealthy to healthy person? And that's, that's really what the biggest transition has been for myself, my team, my practice. And then once we realize that, okay, bigger things are happening here when we address the foundation, first teeth second, and then at a younger age, there's a whole different level of satisfaction in helping an unhealthy child become a healthy child that I can only treat so many people in my physical office location. And then of course, you know, joining forces with Lauren to be able to build an education that we can teach other people to have an effect in their community. Yeah. I can make a tiny difference, but if I could teach 10 doctors, that's all of a sudden, here comes the compounded effect of other communities anywhere in the country. And, you know, to date, we're pretty proud. I think we've trained well over a hundred different offices to be doing things like this, to get involved with, let's work on the foundation and let's do it with all the collaboration we need. Most importantly, the oral facial myofunctional therapy community. And next thing you know, yeah, you get to experience what it means to help an unhealthy child become a healthy child. That's fantastic. And I, I love the whole, the philosophy of where you started, you know, what you've evolved into and now how you're really looking, I, I call it the one-to-one -one versus the one-to-many, right? And so um, I've done the same thing where, like I told you before, working with these pediatric feeding cases and these speech sound disorders and really starting to realize, hey, there's a root cause behind all of this that nobody really taught me in grad school. It's all been post-grad. And, you know, yeah. so I always tell everyone, don't be me, don't go down, don't go through 10 years of lots of, of thousands of dollars of, you know, expensive CEUs. Like we're kind of pulling it together for you over here. And so we do that for pediatric feeding, actually, where I've created that course. And, and for me, the, it was the same thing. If I can help get this information out to other therapists who can go out and treat, assess and treat from this modality and really look at that holistic child and not just, you know, not just the silo of what they think is going on, but really yeah. how this impacting them full body. I'm like, we can impact so many more children and we can really put them on the right path. And so I, I love the work that you're doing. I'm really excited um, whenever I learn about businesses like yours. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. Like I said, we'll include that in the show notes and make sure everybody knows where to find you. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was great talking to you today. It was excellent. I yes. appreciate the time. You too. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes, um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 